Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. So hello there guys and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope you're well. We are back here for the second of our double header. We are going to the Monaco Grand Prix and all the excitement, all the buzz, all of the changing developments in this F1 World Championship when we come back to Monaco for some more chaos and hopefully the next installment of this F1 2022 championship. As always, as a bit of a reminder to you guys, we are the independent F1 podcast made by fans for the fans and we like to bring you all of the latest news, talking points and events and gossip, of course, in the Formula One world and relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure. And don't forget, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. So let's get on with the episode, guys. And first of all, Joining me on this episode, as always, one of the DNF1 team, we have Lee Wallington today. Lee, first of all, how are you doing? And uh, are you looking forward to the Monaco Grand Prix? I'm doing very well, thank you. And of course, I'm looking forward to the Monaco Grand Prix. And I just hope the uh, the new rules bring some exciting racing to what can normally be a a very processional uh, circuit. Yeah, very much so. And I suppose one of the big talking points that a lot of people have already brought forward going into this race for some time is the fact that these cars continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's one circuit on the calendar that's always going to be affected more and more and more being a procession by bigger cars. And that's Monaco. So for lack of being a huge spoiler or being a huge naysayer on this Lee, are we expecting anything other than a procession in Monaco this weekend where the best qualifier may end up winning the Grand Prix, presuming that they actually have a car to race with when we start the race on Sunday, because we didn't have that last time out. I hope we don't, but we've already been proven last weekend that what is normally a processional race in Barcelona wasn't processional. So there is a chance that it may not be here either um, in Monaco. Not that I'm in Monaco, but in Monaco. Um, so I do hope so. But also the the current forecast is there's like a 20% chance of rain for a Sunday, which if there's mixed conditions, then you, that obviously makes it even more interesting. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And it's kind of a conflict, really, because I know you and I, we obviously have our interest and favourites in the sport. We're not professional journalists, so we don't have to be impartial to a certain degree. We we can have favourites. And of course, heading into this championship, the way that it's sort of turned around since Melbourne, um, I really want Ferrari, and in particular Charles Leclerc, to, get, to turn things around and get the result this weekend. And obviously, for obvious reasons... It's not always straightforward for Leclerc. He's never finished in Monaco. So I kind of want a race where not only he finishes, but wins. And the best chance he's going to get that is having a Grand Prix that is a bit of a procession where qualifying is the deciding factor. And given how strong that Ferrari is, particularly in qualifying, that's always a good sign. But at the same time, I want a bit of chaos. I I kind of want that weather. So if it's going to happen for Leclerc, it's going to have to happen the hard way. And in in my mind, in order for it to be an exciting race as well. So with that in mind, Lee, no secret there um, from myself. What are you hoping for? Are you hoping for a bit of mixed weather conditions to kind of spice things up a little bit? Personally, I would love a bit of mixed conditions. Um, I mean, we've had some obviously wet weather um, racing so far this season, but we haven't had a proper mixed conditions where it's wet, dryer, wet, dryer, wet, dryer, things like that. So I love a bit, if we can get a bit of mixed conditions and just shake up the order, you have like five, six pit stops because you always have to go from slicks to wet, slicks to wet, so inters, yeah, right um, mix up and you never know. You may end up um, with a really surprise result in that kind of um, conditions because it's where the driver and obviously a lot, a lot comes out on top. And Monaco is one of the races where you can get a really weird result 
Yeah, you can do. Um, I think a lot has to kind of go wrong for that yeah. sort of thing to happen. I mean, <laughs> True. I mean, we're talking about a circuit right now that in some degree is kind of fighting for its life on the F1 calendar, or at least in the way that we know it, because it's a circuit that, you know, there's no secret to people that watch F1 on a regular basis. A lot of us don't necessarily look forward to Monaco because we're hoping for a good race. I think it's kind of one of those unique events in the calendar that, you know, there's always the glitz and glam around Monaco. It's always been the prestige race where it used to be the jewel in the F1 crown. There's obviously since then so many other races that have obviously made their way onto the F1 calendar and held that status for different reasons. We saw we just come from Miami not long ago where that's probably the race until Vegas comes next year that really is holding a candle to what Monaco is and everything that Monaco represents in that regard. So it's one of those races where I think a lot of us kind of just look forward to the fact that it's Monaco. Some of us look forward to more to Saturday qualifying more than the race because that's where the action tends to be more often than not. And as a result, F1 have obviously gone down the route where they no longer feel that they need to have Monaco on the Canada as a mandatory event that gets all of these special privileges and statuses and exemptions from hosting fees, which of course they're currently in negotiations with trying to sort that all out. And these new cars aren't exactly going to help that. I think Adrian Newey made a point about these new cars where he, as much as he enjoyed the challenge and it is quite exciting to go a little bit retro and old school with the ground effect, which I think has worked wonders so far in terms of the race. And I think we actually got a good race from Catalonia and plenty of overtaking, which is something I don't think many of us could have hoped for in uh, other years in the Turbo Hybrid era before that. But he's obviously made the point that because these cars are a lot bigger, they're a lot more difficult to control at slower speeds, it kind of lends itself to being... Um, a set of regulations which, if they continue to go down that path, not only is it not going to be good for Formula 1 with the cars getting bigger and bigger and bigger, it's certainly not going to do Monaco any favours when they're trying to justify having the, the, the circuit on the calendar for being a race that people actually want to go see for some excitement. Oh, yeah. I mean, what, the cars are two metres wide? Yeah, um, it's crazy and to think that you could you could lay down... In, for people that don't know, obviously, you're about that height, aren't you, Lee? Just short of two metres. Yeah, yeah. so you literally you could lay Lee down and literally just about fit him in between the gap between the two front tyres or something, or the rear tyres. I can't remember which... Uh, I know it's wider at the back than at the front, but yeah. I can't remember which part is two metres. Like probably the back, but there you go. just shows how wide it actually is. Yeah, and there'll be parts of that track which I'm sure is all four metres wide uh, all the way around at uh, minimum. But yes, if you're the perfect angle, perfect speed to get side by side, so... Yeah, Adrian knew he has a point regarding that aspect. Obviously, I think he prefers them to go down to more towards the 600 kilos, not the 8, 900, whatever. Um, we, I can't remember the exact weight um, limit um, now. Um, but the days of the, the mid-2000s, uh, early 2000s, where they were super light, fast, aerodynamic beasts, and that's what Adrian knew he wanted. And he, he does have a point in that aspect. Um because at the end of the day, they were just, um, well, they weren't, they're not motorbikes, but they were just engines in a light piece of um, car. And now they are just beefy muscles. Well, a lot of that is sometimes is protection. And obviously that safety is paramount for the driver. And that has been added over the years. So that's something to always consider as well. Well, it's mostly the hybrid power units, isn't it? I mean, if there was a yeah. way to condense the technology to a point where it was like a small... As a, as a regular power unit was when we had the, the V10s and the V8s, etc., then that would be fantastic. But realistically speaking, if technology like that is going to exist, it's probably going to be something perhaps not even in our lifetime, uh, unfortunately. So I, I totally understand uh, Adrian's opinion. I think if anyone knows about F1 cars or how they should be, it's certainly him. And it's something we can all hope for, but I just can't realistically see that working out. But that all being said, it does really make it difficult to argue the case for Monaco going forward from a spectacle or from an exciting uh, Formula One motor race, for example. You just really aren't going to get that unless you have a bit of chaos with the weather, perhaps, to try and throw some variables into the equation. I mean, we've been talking now for a little bit already, and I've already said that I want Charles Leclerc to win. I mean, given based on the history, he's got no chance if these cars get any wider, is it? It's just, the gap is getting smaller for him to try and fit that car around, and he's not exactly done himself any favours in the first place. No, I feel sorry for uh, the guy. I know he has his home um, town, and obviously he lives there as well, but he has to drive around there in his daily life and he must just keep crashing. So the insurance must absolutely hate. 
Yeah, I mean, you probably wouldn't be able. That, that's probably why um, when he got gifted that Ferrari uh, a couple, of, I think it was last year, or something like that, um, and he got to, and he uh, donated it to Prince Albert to put it in the Monaco Motorsport Museum. It was probably the best place for it. Um, I mean, especially obviously did that historic event driving in Nicky Lauda's Ferrari from the seventies, and obviously it wasn't his fault. But it was a much smaller car, another crash, and you're just thinking, oh my God, will this curse just ever end? I mean, it has to end at some point, surely. Um, and they asked him on this. He actually mentioned um, uh, his thoughts on this, and a lot of people were asking him, you know, if you could pick one, which or which one would come first? Would you rather the Monaco Grand Prix victory or a Formula One World Championship? And his answer simply was, well, I'd like to do both in the same year. So, you know, chronologically, that would mean Monaco would come first. And maybe that will be this year. We'll have to wait and see. But um, going back to the championship fight, because we probably should talk about that yeah. now. Uh, Max Verstappen, at one point, I think it was as much as, what, 36, 37 points off Leclerc? Maybe more than that. I can't quite 46. remember. 46. 46. Wow. There you go. I couldn't even remember the number there. I'm probably sure it was In one three of races. Yeah. It's completely turned around now. And Max Verstappen... He's now six points ahead of Leclerc. Granted, a lot of that has come down to Red Bull being very, very good and Ferrari equally not really matching them. But Spain was a real, real... Um, well, it was a real momentum changer in that regard because Ferrari brought an upgraded car over the course of the weekend. It didn't start off as looking the favourite to beat in the race, but then it became that. And in Charles Leclerc's hands, it looked formidable. It looked like Red Bull and Max Verstappen had absolutely no answer to Charles Leclerc, who was driving like a champion. It was arguably the best performance he'd put in for a good number of races. And owing to issues with the MGU, was it MGUH? I think it was, and the turbo went yeah. completely kaput. Ferrari still don't know what the reason for that was. They All they can say is that it wasn't design or reliability issues. It was just something that happened on the day. So whether that was high temperatures or it was damaged beyond repair... Um, it, it's just one of those really that it's just unfortunate and in modern Formula 1 where these cars are basically bulletproof although this season they're certainly far from it for a few teams it certainly was a huge blow to his championship chances we should be talking about a week where he's still back on track and ahead in this championship he's now lost that huge lead so Lee going into this race a race that you know more and more so is becoming a, a potentially must win event for a guy that's never finished the Grand Prix in his career let alone won it what do you think is going through Charles Leclerc's mind right now? Do you feel that he might be confident that he can turn it around this weekend? Or do you feel that perhaps just finish the race and pick up some points and then we'll get them in uh, the next ones going forward? I, I think he'll be confident going into this weekend. All right, He's had a lot of bad luck regarding previous um, seasons. And it's well, hopefully it's not that point yet. But if he keeps having this um, not finishing at... Monaco, then eventually that just starts playing in the driver's head and it makes the situation worse because just repeats in his head. However, he's got pole position in the past at Monaco, although he didn't actually start the race. Um, and he, so he has set... Uh, has he only had one pole position or...? Uh, just at Monaco, yeah, just the one. Yeah, so he's, he's had pole position um, before. So he knows he can do the lap. He can do it together, obviously keep it out of the wall on a, any other attempts will be a good starting point. But he knows his way around that circuit. And he knows he's got a fast car. Um, and he, well, I say previously, you could stick it on pole and you can keep the traffic behind. But the unknown is if that's still going to be the case this year. So I think he he should be going into pretty confident that he can stick it on pole and then just command the, the race. And he can drive as carefully as he wants and Max won't get past. At least that will be the expectation of what we know so far, but we won't know further until obviously we see the cars themselves go around and practice and any attempted overtakes in practice, which sometimes the drivers like to experiment. Yeah, absolutely right. And, you know, I suppose it's important, you know, we're talking about reliability of parts as well. And, you know, losing that turbocharger and MTUH, that Ferrari said it's beyond repair now, so that's gone. They've all only got the one that they've been using from the start of the season, and a third one of each, because you only allowed three of those parts and uh, in particular. And, you know, those parts are going to be reserved for when the upgrades come in, you know, the electronic upgrades that come in later on, pr probably in September, when they homologate and unfree so not homologate, but freeze uh, the upgrading on those parts until 2026. So in theory, what you've got is a situation where 
the Claire's going to have to make the ones he's already used last, assuming that that's what they're going to use and probably will do for this Grand Prix, last for another few more races, or at least when we get to the halfway point in the season. And then when they bring that new upgraded one, that's going to have to last to the remainder of the season. And if that's not the case, he's going to get a 10-place grid penalty. So we're getting to that point already with Ferrari. Something we didn't expect at the start of the season when that car appeared to be bulletproof, reliability-wise, that Ferrari are now going to have to start being very careful with their parts in order to prevent them from having grid penalties in a Formula 1 World Championship, which is now owing to what Mercedes are even doing, let alone Red Bull, it's now getting a little bit more closer at the front. And there's less room for them to breathe with an advantage that they may apparently have at this point in time. So how critical, in your mind, is that going to be come the latter end of the season, Lee? Do Ferrari have to start thinking about potentially which race they may want to take a grid penalty from? I think they're going to have to. And I think that's probably going to apply to Red Bull as well. Um, so Because they've, they've also had engine failures as well. Um, I don't think the Mercedes powertrains have had... I can't recall any um, failures that they've had as a constructor. They've just been slow at the beginning of the season. Um, so I reckon that they're already, as a manufacturer, thinking that they're going to have to have penalties later on in the season. Um, so that will play a, a significant part in the, the title as we go on through the season. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um... It's going to be a very, very important one for them. Um, we should move the conversation on to Carlos Sainz, if we can. Um, I think the, the good news that we can look at for Ferrari in this case, Sainz included, is that the Ferraris, on average, were the fastest car in the final sector. And I think there's a barometer, and this is in Spain, and this was the much slower, twistier section. They were also fastest in the mid-speed corners, accelerating and under-braking as well. So at a circuit like Monaco, Ferrari, in theory, should have the advantage. And especially in qualifying, and if that tends to transpire um, over the course of the weekend, that should result in them having a good chance of not only winning, but maybe getting a 1-2 as well. We'll have to wait and see. But talking about Carlos Sainz, Sainz has been certainly out of form of late. And since that contract that he signed back when we are talking about Imola, I think we went as far back as that, He's certainly been off the ball. He's made mistakes. Um, he's not been performing to the level that he would obviously want to, and Ferrari as well. The pressure does seem to be building up. The good news is that we're going to Monaco, a circuit where traditionally Carlos Sainz does very, very well. Um, he comes second last time out last year. He argued that he could have put that Ferrari on pole position if it wasn't for Charles Leclerc causing that red flag at the end of Q3 last season. So all that being said, Lee, what do you think of Carlos Sainz's chances this weekend? I mean, a podium seems like a very realistic um, prediction, but do you think he can go one better than that and maybe get the win this weekend or perhaps a P2 to his teammate if need be? I, I think he, he will be on the podium. Um, I'm not sure he will win the race, but he'll take, obviously take the opportunity if it comes along. Um, but he, he, we know that he's had a relatively decent race last time out. Um, he didn't get on the podium, but he didn't um, crash out or anything like that. Um, uh, he obviously did go into the the gravel and did the damage to the floor, but he still got a solid um, position out of it. So, although he can go, okay, I've I've not made a silly mistake, or too big a silly mistake. I can, I've, can, he can hope he has a build-on point to build up his confidence because he's just lacking confidence because he's had bad result after bad result after bad result and that knocks a driver. Um, so he just needs, he's had a good performance, he just needs to get a better performance and it just build on and his season can still come back to him. So I, I fully expect it, Monaco to be um, Carlos Roaring um, going for it. I certainly hope so for his sake because I think he needs to put together a strong performance. I think Ferrari need him too as well. Um, I mean, we're going to talk about Red Bull in a moment, but on the subject of team orders, seeing as Red Bull have now instigated the team order battles for 2022 already, six races in, which seems incredibly early, but of course, you know, they feel that they're fighting for a world championship and they have to do the right thing. I don't think many team principals in that situation would have acted differently given the situation they're in. So I guess the question is, Lee... If Ferrari are in a position this weekend where Carlos Sainz is leading the Monaco Grand Prix with Charles Leclerc in P2 and Max Verstappen in P3 or lower, do you think Ferrari 
will initiate team orders and asks Carlos Sainz to give up his first victory to allow Leclerc to take the points for the World Championship. Uh, now the battle has been instigated regarding Red Bulls, I wouldn't be surprised if that situation occurred that Ferrari would follow suit um, under the team orders. But on the other hand, would Carlos do it? Been, it would potentially be his first victory. I don't know. He's obviously in a different position to Perez. Um, Sergio was still negotiating his new Red Bull contract. Um, Carlos has a nice new Ferrari contract. He's good. He can disobey an order and uh, and live with the, the telling off afterwards to get his first win. Um, so I'm not sure he would be as willing as Sergio to give way for uh, the race lead. Yeah, and in addition to that, this is kind of a new age Ferrari that we're seeing. You know, we we hear a lot of emphasis about this being a new young team, this Bonotto era of Ferrari starting to come to life now. And as a result with the lineup of drivers that they have, it's all sort of growing together in the same way that it was back in the late 90s when Schumacher joined. And obviously it was a big process that culminated in the dominant era that we got in the early 2000s with Schumacher, Braun and Jean Todd at the helm with Luca de Montezemolo overseeing the whole show. In a way, you've kind of got something like that building at Ferrari right now um, with, um, you know, you know, with Matty Bonotto, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz obviously being involved in that as well, Lauren Meeks. Um, it's all starting to come together. And I just feel that whilst I would expect Ferrari to do the right thing for the championship, not necessarily for the sport, because I'm sure not many people would want to see that given the circumstance we'd be in, I'd be more surprised if they didn't execute that team order and I'd be even more surprised if Carlos Sainz followed it for that reason because I still believe in his mind he probably still feels like he's got a chance in this world championship it's a long championship we've got 16 more races to go I believe so there's still plenty of time to turn things around and you know as we go into this podcast and talk about a few other teams they probably still have the same thoughts on in terms of the longevity that they can still salvage their season that it's far from over so we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, but guys, get your thoughts in the comments below. If you think Ferrari are in that, if Ferrari are in that position and they may have to ask Carlos Sainz to allow Leclerc to overtake him for the victory and for the championship, what would you do if you were Carlos Sainz? Would you obey the order and give Leclerc the victory, preventing yourself from getting your first win? Or would you say, you know what? I want to win this race. I'm ahead. I deserve it. I can still get in this championship. I'm going to win. Let us know what you think in the comments below. And also let, know, let us know what you think Ferrari should do if you're Matti Bonotto, if you should uh, execute a team order or not. Let's move on to Red Bull now. And Red Bull right now, the last weekend, they they were good, but they weren't exactly at their very, very best. The, you know, the team did the job they needed to do. Um, Perez obviously wasn't running the fully upgraded car, hence why he had a bit of a deficit to Verstappen in qualifying, but overall drove a very solid race. And... Once again, despite Max Verstappen not being at his absolute best, he was still able to get the result. He was still able to win the race. That's now three in a row, I believe, for Max Verstappen. And as a result, now leads a world championship, which, as we said, Lee, back in Melbourne not too long ago, when he was 46 points off Leclerc, he thought he was going to need about another 45 races to catch Leclerc. As it stands, he only needed just the three. So with that in mind, Lee, what are your thoughts regarding Red Bull and Max Verstappen? It seems right now that no matter what is going on, they always seem to be able to find a way to come out on top, whether f- through their brilliance or through some fortune to help them out along the way. Can Red Bull be stopped right now? Can Max Verstappen be stopped in such a huge purple patch of form? Yeah, the, the momentum is definitely with Max and Red Bull at the moment for both titles. Um, so it's all it's all going their way. Um, obviously, there was the big concern with Ferrari's speed at the beginning of the season, but they've managed to rise to that challenge. Um, but if any driver is going to be able to stop it at the moment, it'd be Charles. I reckon we're going to have a, a tasty scrap on this weekend once again. Uh, presuming both cars actually finish the race, uh, which <laughs> is Charles. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm sure it'll be uh, an interesting weekend. But Maxi will be going for it as always. Obviously, he doesn't always have the best record in Monaco either. We've hit in the wall. Um, but that's because he's like other drivers and hitting the water, pushing it to limit and finding where they can um, push the car. And especially with this new type of car, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a few drivers hitting the wall just because it's going to handle differently to previous seasons. 
Mm. Well, Max is certainly no stranger to hitting the wall at Monaco. He's done that no. a few times in his career. Uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was it 2017, he crashed it in qualifying when Red Bull looked like they had the best car on the day and he blew it in qualifying. I think Ricardo got pole that day and ended up yeah. going on to win the race, I believe. I think that was his redemption race, if I'm unless I'm mistaken. And um, it, again, it, it just comes down to can Red Bull deliver on the day? Now, of course, you raised a very good point, Lee. With these modern cars, it's going to be a lot more difficult to generate the downforce with ground effect at a circuit where there's a lot of bumps and there's a lot of um, you know instability and a lot of places where you can't generate enough speed to get that downforce in the higher speed corners. It's going to be a lot harder to handle than at other circuits. So we may see a few occasions where drivers that we expect to be quite comfortable may struggle. That may happen to Max Verstappen and Red Bull this weekend. We'll have to wait and see how that transpires. Um, speaking of the cars, of course, the word of the day right now is budget cap. I know that's two words, but... At the moment, there seems to be an issue over who is actually spending what. Now, of course, we've had a few people weigh in on this. We had Ferrari that claimed that their accountants or somebody did uh, an assessment on Red Bull spending, and they believe that they haven't got too much more left to spend before they get to their limit in terms of what they can develop on their car, which, if true, could prove to be a real problem for them in the last second half of the season if we're still in a position where it's as competitive as it is right now. Then, of course, you add... Dr. Helmut Marco weighing in saying, well, Ferrari needs to worry about how many times they crash their car or science crashes his car in terms of repair bills for that same reason. And then we had the German publication Amos going as far as saying that if everybody is honest with a budget cap, and we use that term loosely, the word honest, because that implies some sort of foul play that we're not going to imply on this show because we don't know and we don't want to get sued. So we're just going to leave it for what it says there. But if they, according to them, they say if all the teams are being honest, the upgrades will stop around about the Canadian Silverstone Grand Prix time, which isn't too far away. That's usually the second cohort of upgrades. We've had the first one in Spain. We've got the second big one that we're expecting around Canada Silverstone time. But then that's it afterwards. Focus will swift over to the 2023 cars. Um, or switch over, I should say. So with all that in mind, Lee, what are your thoughts on this one right now? Because we also had an article from Autosport saying that, according to Christian Horner, that we may end up with a few teams that breach the budget cap having to skip a few races because that apparently is the punishment uh, for teams that breach the budget cap. Yeah, um, but I think it's like Otmar um, has said that teams struggling or requesting higher budget cap um, should look at their budgeting and put more... take. They put less money towards development of their car and more towards the operational inflation costs. That's the budget you work with in your money. You don't make up magic money or stop racing. You have your requirement. You've put the budget. You've set that out. If you're running out of money, then you're overspending and then you're not following your budget. Um, you, you should know that from your career, Adam. You stick to your, your book sheets and spreadsheets and balances. You don't. Um, over up to um, overspend, and if I, I've, if teams are overspending, obviously they're not managing their finances as well as they should do. And the, the idea of the the budget cap, and we don't want teams rising it because they run out of money. Obviously, we don't want teams not racing because they run out of money. And some of the punishment that Formula One has talked about, if the teams breach the budget cap, um, we don't want that either. So it it really raises some difficult questions for the sport about. What they're going to do, especially if those seven teams don't make the end of the season because they can't afford to go racing. Well, that's going to be a very <laughs> um, boring races to watch if there's only three teams, six cars going around. Yeah, yeah. So for some reason, why you were saying that, Lee? I just kept thinking of Indianapolis 05. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, he's just sort of going through that. I'm not quite sure how they're policing this. I know that I think they got Deloitte involved. I heard to sort of police this and yeah. monitor what's going on. So, of course, you know, one of the big four accounting firms, if you're based in the UK at least, you know, they seem pretty reliable in being able to get to the bottom of who's actually spending what. What I would like as an F1 fan, and I know that this probably doesn't apply to a lot of you guys listening to this show or watching the sport as you do, you don't really care too much for the financial nuances or the activity or all the accounting trivial stuff. You just want to see on a blank piece of paper who is spending what and how much have they spent over the course of the year. And in a weird way, that's kind of what we all want. I mean, I know that's kind of my profession in a way uh, as an accountant. I don't mind looking through all the details and everything else because it's what I'm used to. And in a weird way, I can kind of enjoy it. It's a 
weird thing about accountants. We seem to enjoy it. I don't know why, we just do. Um, I think that's why we get into it in the first place. But look, that said, I think a lot of people would agree that they would want a blank sheet of paper, all the teams on a little spreadsheet, had to get that one in, just to say how much they have spent compared to what the budget cap is. And then that kind of gives us a fair reflection. And I think in a weird way, I don't know if everyone can provide that or if they can accurately monitor it race by race by race to provide something. I don't know. I mean, they had last year, Lee, where they had the hypothetical car performance updates where they kind of used AWS to sort of monitor where they thought everyone were in terms of car performance to the lead car and whatever percentages you confront. I don't know how they measured it, but if you can do something like that, surely you can do something like that with the finances and just have a little graph that comes out every so often and just say, this is who spend what, and then we just go from there. Because the last thing I want to be talking about throughout the course of this season is the budget cap. But I just can't help but feel that this is going to be something that we're going to be hearing about again and again and again and again. Especially if the team that wins the world championship, which looks at this point is either going to be Red Bull or Ferrari for the moment, are the team that keeps being put in the limelight over controversy or accusations of spending more than they should be. Yeah, well, it's firstly, I'd say about the, the publication of figures that require transparency and obviously teams regard, worrying about their competitive edge, about other teams knowing about their financials. Um, so it's that'll be great from a fan's perspective, but I just don't see that happening because the teams won't want to give that information out to the public knowledge. Um, but secondly, it wouldn't be a surprise that if Formula One comes up with these great ideas, and I agree the costs in Formula One are ridiculous. So budget cap means the smaller teams can go racing. So I'm not criticising the budget cap at all, but it'd be just normal Formula 1 that they've come up with this new idea and then somehow and shoots themselves, Formula 1 in the foot, so to speak, and it ends up making a big utter shambles towards the end of the season. That would just be typical Formula 1 that it's just gone so wrong somewhere along the line. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, um, some organisations legally have to publish their financial accounts on an annual basis. Um, You know, I'm not going to go into the details of that because I'll bore everybody off this podcast. But um, we've talked enough already about spreadsheets and budgets to last a lifetime (laughs) on this show. That said, um, it's kind of hard to police that in season. Like you want to see the live picture and you don't get that. And that's where the problem is. So. I don't know what F1 can do to kind of make that a bit clearer for everyone. And even then, it's probably at the best estimate. But we're going to find out sooner rather than later if anybody is overspending or spending beyond the budget cap, which, of course, has been reduced a little bit more. Uh, I think it's like to $141.2 million or something like that because we've got no Russian Grand Prix or we've got nothing to replace it now. So we've just got the 22 races. So we're going to have to wait and see how that unfolds in the latter part of the season and if anyone's actually been overspending and what happens if they have been. Um, let's move on to Sergio Perez now. And um, we've already talked a lot already about the team orders, how that affected his race. So going into this weekend, Lee, with that said, and obviously Perez feeling a little bit less than sombre about his team right now, what are your thoughts for this weekend on Sergio? Do you think that this is a race where he can respond and try and win? Or do you feel that now his season has been set in stone where every time he's ahead of Max on the road and Max needs those points, he's going to be instructed to just let him go? Uh. I, I think he will obviously go out to try and do his best. Although that would have annoyed him um, regarding the, the broken promise that he's talked about. But I, I think Sergio won't stop stop trying to go for a win. I mean, he, at the end of the day, he's a race driver. They they want to win. That's what they do. Um, although it would be demotivating knowing that he probably... If need to, he'll be told to get out of the way for Max. And that that's already now happened. So he knows it, it probably will reoccur as the season goes on if he's in the lead position, which is demotivating in itself. Um, but I don't see him trying any less harder to try and get pole and win the race. Yeah, no, that's first. Sorry, I thought you were going to weigh in a bit more there, but never mind. Oh, no, no, that was it. <laughs> it looked like you were setting up for it, and it's like, yep, no, that's it. That's all I'm going to offer. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was my point. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But no, that's absolutely fine, and I, I totally agree. I think Checo's just going to keep going as he does, but in the back of his mind, as you said, talking about broken promises and stuff like that, and the communication wasn't exactly clear and concise. It was almost, he's got an issue with what's going on, and Red Bull are just ignoring it and just trying to crack on with what's going on ahead of them. So... We'll have to wait and see how that sort of transpires. Um, Again, it's not something that I didn't expect from Red Bull. And 
you know, they're trying to win a championship. And we get to a point of the season later on, or at the very end of the season, where Max Verstappen wins this championship by, I don't know, less than six points. They're going to look at that particular race and say, well, look, if we didn't do that, Charles Leclerc would have won the championship for Ferrari, or maybe someone at Mercedes, who knows? But I digress. Before we talk about Mercedes, just want a quick plug of this podcast. Of course, guys, if you are enjoying it, make sure to give a like for the video and subscribe to the channel if you're watching on YouTube. I hope you're enjoying it so far. And of course, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting platform, you can also give us a rating on there, hopefully a five-star one if you think we're worthy, and follow us on there as well. Another reminder for those of you that watch our qualifying watch-alongs, or perhaps those of you that didn't know we do qualifying watch-alongs on YouTube, we do. And this weekend, of course, the Monaco Grand Prix, the qualifying watch-along that we're doing with DNF1 is going to be hosted by myself. And joining me, we've got one of the members of the F-Series, famous F-Series. We've got Kira Megan joining us on that one. So that should be really good. So you can join into that one on the DNF1 YouTube channel. Just type in DNF1 on YouTube and tune in for the qualifying watch-along at Monaco from 2.45pm UK time on Saturday. That's certainly going to be a good one. Hopefully you guys can come along and watch qualifying with us on that one. Let's move on to Mercedes now, Lee. Quite a lot of positives for them to take from the Spanish Grand Prix. A podium for George Russell, a fantastic recovery drive from Lewis Hamilton, which he himself, by his own admission, was ready to throw in the towel after his, fir- after his first lap incident with Kevin Magnussen. As it was, he carried on, believed what the team were telling him, and delivered a fantastic performance, particularly in the second and third stints, to the point now where Mercedes seemed convinced that they are not only on the right path again, but they could potentially be a challenge for for Ferrari and Red Bull towards the rest of this season. Their championship starts now, if you like. So with all that being said, Lee, where are your thoughts on Mercedes? Do you feel that the optimism is right for them and that they should feel that they can get back in this championship? Or perhaps do you feel that they need to make sure they can walk first before they start running in this championship? I think the optimism to a degree is right. They've proved that their concept appears to work now. This, um, the minimum side pod or zero side pod, whichever you want to name it, it works. They don't have to change their their car chassis to having back to actual side pods. They can progress with this um, design. So in that self, they, they're relieved they don't have to start again and take themselves backwards and all that. Talking about budget cap, wasting all that money going down the wrong um, concept. So they're going to be relieved from that aspect. However, where it still be early days again, themselves back in the championship fight, at best they may be putting themselves back where Ferrari and Rebel were in Bahrain at the beginning of the season. They're, they're now at starting point, and if um, Ferrari and Rebel um, haven't developed the car. They may be on the equal petting grounds, but for Rebel, as we know, have developed their car since then. So they're behind. It's just a matter of how quickly they can bring further upgrades to get them to race-winning status. Um, but they've got every reason to be happy. But as Steve mentioned before, it's a long season. They could still bring themselves into this fight. But if it's three, four races or 10 races, 10 races, you're at the championship. Three races, well, you, you could still win the next... Uh, 10 races until the end of the season and you may find yourself in a, a championship winning position so it's it could still all change yeah I, I think so too and you know I, I want to be realistic I, I'm not a Mercedes fan I would admit that and I know sometimes um, I, I'm obviously I'm going to admit I'm not going to be as optimistic and buoyant about what they've done as much as some fans have been and that's understandable you know you, yeah. when you hear good news about your team you, you're probably going to exaggerate it or perhaps you might have a tendency to exaggerate it more than others o- on the flip side if you're not a fan of that you might try to talk it down more than perhaps what it is and be less realistic or less optimistic if you like so I like to think that I can offer an opinion on this to the best of my ability, where I'm one, where neither one or the other, to a degree. Some of you might agree with that, some of you might not, and that's absolutely fine. Um, I always enjoy interacting with people in the comment section on these videos, and anyone who wants to weigh in, whether you agree or not, that's absolutely fine. It's great. That's the best part about doing this, that we can engage with a lot of you guys that tune into our show, and we're really grateful for that. So, on the subjects of Mercedes, I agree they have certainly made a good step forward. It's hard to judge that, though, how far they've actually come. You know, Mercedes, I think, I can't remember, I think it was Total Wolf at Mercedes that reckons that 
they're now race pace wise a fraction of a second off Red Bull and only a tenth off a Ferrari. Now, I understand that they have a certain amount of data which may lead them to believe that, or from their best estimate. I'm not so sure that it's as close as that. And there's a few reasons why I believe that is. First of all, they were basing this on Lewis's performance compared to what the likes of Verstappen, Perez and Sainz were doing ahead of him. At no point did they actually measure that against Charles Leclerc, from what we understand. And of course, people can say, oh, well, Leclerc only ran half a race because his car went kaput, and that's absolutely fine. But I think based on the evidence we had, Leclerc practically checked out in that race. And I think the only reason why Red Bull decided to go for an extra stop to get Verstappen ahead of Russell is because they knew they didn't have to worry about Leclerc. So they could deal with Russell and then they've got the one-two in the bag. That said as well, um, I don't think Leclerc was running at his absolute maximum because I think he had such a gap, a gap, he was able to do what he did. And he knew Verstappen was behind Russell, so he could do that too. And at the end of the race, Verstappen clearly wasn't running at full pace. So whilst Hamilton was doing a great job, he was clearly going as quick as he possibly could, in my mind. I don't. There would have been no reason for him to hold back unless Mercedes told him to do that and save the car for the next races. So you got to weigh that in too. Verstappen was also held up by George Russell, brilliantly done by Russell, but because of the lack of DRS, I think if Max would have got Russell, he would have been able to pull away. Perez, of course, got caught up in all of that when it messed with his strategy to the point where he had to play second fiddle to his teammate. And then you've got Carlos Sainz, who was completely out of sync the whole race because... Not only did he get a bad start, which got him stuck behind Hamilton originally before he managed to get it back, but also because of the mistake he made and the damage on his car as a result, which cost him, Ferrari believe it to be as much of a second. I'm not sure it's that much, but hypothetically, they say in between and say three quarters at the very most or half a second. It's still a lot of time to lose over the course of a race distance. So with all that data there and all those caveats in place, if Mercedes are indeed a fraction off Red Bull, and a tenth for Ferrari, then that is incredible stuff. But at this point, I think it's fair to say that they are certainly a lot closer, but I still think there's some way to go. And I don't think we're going to find out how close they really are until they go to a proper circuit again, which we're not going to get when we go to Baku. We're certainly not going to get when we go to Monaco. So I want to stress to urge on the side of caution. Yes, be optimistic, be excited. I'm excited for Mercedes. I really am because I want them in the mix as well. Believe me, it's no fun just having two teams. There's got The more teams we have in the fight, the better. And Hamilton drove fantastically and Russell did as well. It must be said. It can't be understated how good George Russell was last weekend. He was phenomenal. Um, at one point, I thought he was going to win the race. Um, that's how good he was and how good the car apparently seems to be. But now Mercedes are on that path. They figured out how to get the best out of their current car. They know it works, and thank goodness that it does, because I did not want them to write their season off. But they now have to start adding performance parts to their car to a point where they don't go back to the issues where they had the porpoise in, because that is still a risk as well, and they have to assess that. And they have to try and make gains on Ferrari and Red Bull, who, let's be honest, their upgrades worked very, very well for them. We just never got to see particularly how well because of the reliability issues that Leclerc had and the way that Sainz, Verstappen and Perez's races were compromised for different reasons. They weren't, they didn't have a clean race. Whereas to a degree, 90% of Hamilton's was pretty much error-free and problem-free until the very end and the very beginning. And George Russell just did the best job that George Russell could do at the same time. So it's good, but let's not get carried away yet. That's all I would say and I'm trying to be as impartial. And I understand if you guys don't agree with that, that's absolutely fine. But I just think Mercedes are on the right path. But I'd be very surprised if they actually were on Ferrari and Red Bull's level right now. I think there's still a little bit of ways to go, but it's exciting. I think we should be very excited about that. So huge monologue out of the way, Lee. What are your thoughts on Mercedes this weekend? Is this a Grand Prix uh, that Mercedes and particular Hamilton and Russell despite everything that I've just said, could possibly look at and thinking, you know what, if we get qualifying right, we could win this. Yeah, well, they definitely will go in thinking that they could have a shot at it. However, the the quickest from um, Barcelona, they were quickest in sector one, not sector two and three, and they were losing time through those sectors. So I don't think they'll be getting pole position or um, setting the fastest laps. Um However, I, like I said for Barcelona, I reckon they're going to be close enough to Red Bull and Ferrari that they will mess with Red Bull and Ferrari strategy. 
they're going to be a nuisance, they're going to be sitting in the pit window, which ultimately could end up deciding the actual race winner if, for example, Charles hasn't crashed out, he pits from the lead, ends up behind a Lewis or George, he can't get past, and all of a sudden, person sitting in P2 pits and is actually comes out ahead because they've been stuck behind Mercedes, and that's it. Mercedes decided the race winner because they've interfered in the pit window. So that's where I think Mercedes are going to be sitting. Um, obviously, if there's mixed conditions, I would Mercedes could actually get a surprise result out of it, but I don't think they're going to have the pace to get a, a race win from this weekend on in dry conditions. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's one of those where it could prove to be a very good weekend for Mercedes, but I think on a circuit like Monaco, particularly that sector free pace that we saw in Spain. With all due respect, they were closer to Alfa Romeo, Haas, McLaren and Alpine than they were to Ferrari and Red Bull. They were sort of in the middle of that pack. Their sector one pace was so good, they started to lose time over the rest of that lap. And I feel like it's going to be that factor that if Mercedes aren't able to do anything to kind of mitigate that and bring them further forward, then yes, they're certainly going to be in that window where they could upset the Ferrari and Red Bull strategy. I certainly think it's going to be a lot closer in that regard than we've seen at other circuits between the whole field spread, let alone just Ferrari, Red Bull versus Mercedes. But they have got to be mindful about some of the other teams that they've sort of stolen a march on now that they don't fall back into that. And and let's not forget as well, of all the cars in terms of dealing with porpoising, Mercedes have by far managed to do the best job. I think they porpoise the less of anybody which is great. And if that's the case, maybe that does suggest that they could run their car even lower to optimise their setup a little bit more at circuit like Monaco, which will give them more downforce, which can only be good news for them. So we'll have to wait and see. It's a circuit where it's kind of hit and miss for them in, in the past. They've either been very good or they've been very bad. Um, Hamilton struggled there last season. He had those issues. Bottas, surprisingly, was very good in the Mercedes, all things considered. Um, th- this is a weekend where you know, opportunity favours the brave. You know, it only takes one of them to do a great qualifying lap, as we saw with Leclerc last season, and you can put that car in a position where you wouldn't normally find it, and that could bode well for the race. So, what's, what's the verdict, Lee? Is it possible that Mercedes could win this Grand Prix this weekend? And I know I'm asking the tough questions here, but I feel like you're in a better place to answer it than I am, to be honest, when I've already shown off all my biases already against them and in favour for the Scuderia. I think there's a possibility that there could be a surprise Mercedes result. However, I don't think it's very likely. Hence the surprise. <laughs> you never know. That's all we can say. Yeah. The guy that's living hope, you know, Lewis and George, I'm certainly sure that they will do a great job. And more importantly as well, as good as George has been, it's really good to see Lewis in a much more chipper, buoyant mood and feeling more confident with the car. And we all know a confident Lewis Hamilton is a dangerous Lewis Hamilton to race against in terms of being able to beat him. Um, there's not there's not really many better than Lewis when he's in the mood and he's feeling confident with the car underneath him. So it certainly bodes well for Mercedes. We'll have to wait and see how that all plays out. Let's look through the midfield now. Of course, we've got Alfa Romeo, Haas I've already mentioned already, Alpine, Alfa Tauri, Aston Martin, Williams. I know it's a packed midfield, but and, and McLaren as well. Um, let's look at McLaren before we pile for everybody else. Um... Lando Norris, of course, he he struggled with tonsillitis at the end, didn't he? And that must have been pretty brutal. In the searing heat in Spain, in those conditions, couldn't even talk towards the end of the race. I think he had to signal on his steering wheel that he was okay to the team after he finished the race. And then you've got Daniel Ricciardo, who not only uh, wasn't able to put it together last weekend out, but of course there were some interesting comments that Zach Brown made on Sky Sports' show Any Driven Monday, which... You could infer from that that he was criticising his own driver and heaping more pressure on him to deliver results. So bearing in mind that we're talking about a driver here that was won here before and probably should have won it here back in 2016 in the Red Bull, some of the best performances we've seen from Daniel Ricciardo in his career. Where's your thoughts with McLaren? And do you feel that those comments that Zach Brown made were necessary, really, to try and get the best out of Daniel? Or do you feel that it's a situation where perhaps he's just lost faith in the driver that they've invested a lot of money in? Uh, well, firstly, with Lando, I, um, with tonsillitis, I mean, he done brilliantly. Um, I mean, when I had bad tonsillitis in the past, I don't want to get out of bed, let alone drive a car around uh, <laughs> at ridiculously fast speeds and concentrate on that amount not to mess it up. So, hat off to Lando for doing that while sick. So, yeah, I'd like to see someone else do that. Um, but yeah, the... 
Lando obviously he did really well there last year. Um, so he probably has a good chance of performing well this year. But if, obviously, if the McLaren behaves the way he wants to, and as you said, Daniel can has performed well in the past uh, merely for a different team. So he knows he he knows the circuit as well. But with, with Zach Brown, is I think Daniel is now starting to get to the point that pressure internally is now going to start to build his patient wears thin with Daniel. So he will either need to step up his game um, or he's going to have to find something because he's going to find himself in a precarious point of the season that McLaren may not want to have his services any um, further. Is it a two-year contract Daniel's on or is it I think so. I think, I think he's a contract. I think it's the year before Lando's does, the one that he signed last year. Something like that. Either that or on the same terms, but yeah. you, you kind of get the picture. They're both medium-term contracts. Um, so... This current trait, you're going to get to the end of the year that the pressure is going to really build up on Daniel um, if he doesn't start getting some improved results. And Daniel, it's, before he joined McLaren, would have said he's one of the probably the top five drivers on the grid. But unfortunately, this is doing disservice to his his reputation of you're only as good as your last race, and his last few races have been appalling <laughs> apart from Monza last year. Well, I wouldn't even put him so, top 10 right now. No, I wouldn't either. But as I was saying, before he joined McLaren, you would put him in the top five. So it's just uh, how bad the McLaren car is for Daniel or how hard Daniel's adjusted to McLaren and the car. It's just something that's not working. Yeah, it's a very strange one. And it's not like there haven't been more opportunities for him to try and get that right. I mean, look, I don't want to be too harsh on him because I'm a big fan of Danny Rick. And I feel like sometimes yeah. on this show, I do lay into him a little bit more than I do other drivers. And I feel like that's because I expect him to turn it around just like that. I really expect him to just, I expect him to come out this weekend and just put together a performance like he did at Monza last year. And it's so frustrating because it just proved last year at Monza that he's got it in him. He can do this. I know he can. Lots of his fans know he can. McLaren know he can, but I'm sure he knows he can. But for some reason, it's just not happening. And unfortunately for Daniel, and I hate saying this because I'm a huge fan of his, the clock is ticking. McLaren's patience, amazingly, I never thought we'd get to this point, but it really is starting to wear thin now. And when you start talking about things like money and the constant rhetoric about other drivers, particularly in the States, drivers like Passero Ward or Colton Herta or a few other to name, maybe some other drivers in F1 that might be looking at that seat, it starts to become very apparent right now that the Danny Rick, the the honey badger, the, 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 shoey, the man with the shoey, he's not as untouchable in that McLaren seat as we once thought he would be. And... Yes, you could argue perhaps Lando is just improved to a degree where it's making Daniel look worse than he actually is. I'm not necessarily sure that that's the case. I think Lando's doing a great job, but I don't think we're getting a situation like what we've seen with Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas, for example, over the years where you've got someone so good, it makes a, a, good, a very good driver look mediocre. I don't believe that's what's happening here. I think there is a deficit somewhere that needs to be filled. So... Hopefully, for Daniel's sake, he can turn it around. This is a great circuit for him to do that. He's always gone well here. So hopefully, for his sake, he can turn it around this weekend. Um, and hopefully, Lando feels better too. You know, I mean, I've never had tonsillitis that I can remember. I had mine taken out when I was very, very young. And I could not imagine, from what I've heard, doing anything worse than run around, drive around a Formula 1 car, being thrown around any eight ways to Sunday on a very hot day like that. Granted, it's probably one of the only things I'd probably get out of bed for if I had tonsillitis to do that, but it's probably not a very good idea. So no, fair play to Lando on that one and hopefully feels better and is able to put in another stellar performance this weekend. Um, a few other topics I want to cover in the midfield. Let's talk about Alpha Tauri and in particular, Pierre Gasly. Now, one thing that we didn't see that came to light on F1 TV a little bit later in the week was a collision that happened between Pierre Gasly and Lance Stroll at Turn 1, where Stroll tried to overtake Gasly on the outside and then Gasly caught him. Definitely Gasly's fault. It wasn't caught on the coverage, but it was a bit of a surprise. And I suppose in a way, Lee, it kind of compounds all of these either errors or less than spectacular performances that we often associate with Pierre Gasly as being pound for pound one of the best drivers on the grid. Right now, not only is he not living to that standard, but he's been well beat by his teammate, Yuki Tsunoda, a driver that we've often associated as one that's had potential but not lived up to it, only until now where he's delivering. So how much pressure 
do you think is on Pierre Gasly to get this right? Bearing in mind that this is a driver who currently doesn't know where he's going to be driving in 2023 and I'm pretty sure wants to show himself in the best possible light to potential suitors up and down the grid. I I think a lot of what Pierre is experiencing at the moment is probably in his head in the sense that Yuki's driving well. So because Yuki's driving well and Pierre is making mistakes, it's reflecting badly so the pressure starts building internally that I need to be my teammate, need to be my teammate. But I also think the contract position is going to be affecting him in the sense that I personally think he either wants the Red Bull seat instead of Sergio or he wants out of the Red Bull family. Um, he wants to be, at the end of the day, like any other driver on the grid, he wants to be a champion. And very, and it's not very likely that he's going to be a world champion in AlphaTauri. Um, Alpha so he needs to look elsewhere to get that championship. Um, so he, I think it's in his head, and the, the, we've seen it before with other drivers, that the contract negotiations just distracts them from their goal and their performance dips because they want they're focusing on this or they're focusing on that and they and it drops and then you get the contract sorted and the performance shoots back up because they're in a safe space and the men's really more in the game again. And I think that's what's really hurting Pierre at the moment. Yeah, absolutely right. And it's interesting with Gasly because as I've often said already, you know, this is a guy that we we've come used or accustomed to the fact that he's able to deliver the absolute maximum that his car can give him and has been a threat to some of the bigger boys in recent years. This season you know, he started off with some promise and he was on the fringes of the top 10, but it's never really gone beyond that. And if anything, it's gone backwards, whereas his teammate has gone kind of the other way. He started slow. He's now found his form. We kind of hinted at something like this a li- about a couple of years ago when Sonoda just came into F1. And we talked about how these new bigger cars and these 18-inch profile tyres were going to be very similar to what we saw in F2. And perhaps that might provide a bit of an advantage to drivers that are driven that era of F2 car drivers like George Russell, Lando Norris, Yuki Tsunoda for example, Mick Schumacher and in particular Yuki Tsunoda has started to find the advantages of that and, and I feel that that certainly transpired in him showing more of his quality and potential and now Alvatari seem actually we're glad that we stuck with him so far at least of course it could still change but when you look at Gasly a driver who as I said already other teams should be looking at him for a seat next season um, or perhaps Red Bull need to consider whether to keep him on. I don't think the Red Bull avenue is now open to him. I think that's gone because Perez is doing a great job and should stay with the team. And then you've got drivers coming through like Yuri Vips and Liam Lawson that seem to have more of a stake at that Red Bull seat in the future. So if you're Pierre Gasly or if you're other teams, what do you think Gasly needs to do now to try and turn this around? And, and if you were in a bigger team and you had a seat potentially available, would you be looking at Gasly right now? Well, first thing that he would need to do is be his teammate on a regular basis. That's the first and, and always the benchmark for drivers is their teammate. Um, and as he's not beating Yuki on a regular basis, that's the first thing they're going to look at. Obviously, he is a proven race winner. Um, yeah, that's always nice to have in his back pocket. Um, but you know, on merit, he's probably not going to win a, a race again in the AlphaTauri unless there's some special circumstances again. Um but being regular point scorer in the top 10 would be a, a good place to start. Yeah, I, I think so too. Hopefully he does go well this weekend. But then, you know, I say that about everybody. So somebody, <laughs> something's got to give. Um, <laughs> it kind of reads, you can't be everyone's friend, unfortunately, on this as much as I'd like to be. Let's talk about Haas before we get into our predictions. Now, Haas brought practically no upgrades to the Spanish Grand Prix. They were the only team that didn't bring any sort of modification or upgrade to their car. And it certainly showed, particularly in their race pace. The qualifying performance is still there. So when we go to a circuit like Monaco, that qualifying performance could come in handy for them. And if so, could certainly get them back into the points where they were early in the season. How do you think they're going to get on this weekend, Lee? Because as I said already, sector three in Spain, their times look pretty good. I think if anything, they were faster than Mercedes in one lap pace. Uh, in sector three so surely that may transpire into a, a strong weekend for us um i think they will qualify really well um i wouldn't be at this i know the predictions for qualifying we do now qualifying so but i wouldn't be surprised to see kevin in the top five um it's just i have got a horrible feeling depending on how easy it is to overtake with the new rules 
um, they wouldn't be surprised that they start going backwards as the race progresses. Well, this is it, yeah. Top 10. Yeah, well, this is it. And, you know, in a, in a race like Monaco, that's not exactly the worst thing, but of course, strategy, you've got to kind of get that right. So it'd be interesting to see how they do. I just really hope that Mick Schumacher has a good weekend. I know I keep banging on about this, and maybe it's the Schumacher fanboy in me that's doing this, but it's so frustrating and so depressing to see Mick look like he may get into the points. And then like we saw in Spain, he just fell down the order quite dramatically towards the end. It was wasn't fun to watch, I must admit. I certainly hope that Monaco brings in better fortunes, but at this point, you just don't know. And, and the same was happening for K-Mag as well. We should stress, of course, he didn't do himself any favours with that collision with Lewis. But, um, you know, there you go. Let's move into our predictions now, Lee. The fun part of the episode where we stick our necks on the line to predict who's going to be in the top three and who's going to, well, what bold prediction we may have. So, with that in mind, Lee, who's in your top three this weekend? And give me a bold prediction. You can go first because I'm not going to let anyone, less than myself, uh, steal your thunder in this one and take your predictions away. So the floor is yours. Um, My predictions would be Max, Carlos and Lewis. Um, The bold prediction is we're going to see drivers doing three or four stops this weekend. Wow. That is something. Now, I know a lot of people probably think three or four stops, all right, that's a lot for modern Formula One, but what we saw at Spain, there was certainly some scope where that may actually happen. We got three stops in that race. I think Max Verstappen did a three stop in that race. Yeah. So, yeah, that's an interesting one. Any reason why you think that might be, Lee? Because Monaco traditionally is normally a, a low deg circuit. Yeah. I'm really hoping for mixed condition. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. So we're not ruling out rain then. Okay. Well, yeah, that, no, no, no. that makes much more sense. <laughs> that does make much. But then you're expecting a dry race perhaps to wet and then to dry yeah, later on. Dry, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, really mess it up. I like the way you think. I like the way you think. And just sorry, just to recap your top three, just so that I remember Max, Carlos, and Lewis. Yeah, it's boring. All right, then. Yeah, Charles ain't going to finish the race. <laughs> oh, I, thought, I thought that might be your bold prediction. You might just chuck it in there. No, that no. Charles will finish. No, that's, a, that's not bold. That's expected. Is expected? <laughs> History would argue against that, Lee, I, I would say. Um, well, my bold prediction is not that Charles Leclerc will finish the race. I think he no, will not finish, finish the race. race. But no, he's not going to finish I, th- I think he will. I think surely the duck has got a break at some point. I mean, I, I can't imagine he's going to go his whole career without actually finishing a Grand Prix. I mean, that would be some feat. Um, that'd be an amazing stat, wouldn't it? But no, I, I think he will finish this weekend. Actually, he has to, surely. Anyway, look, I, I say that. He's probably going to bin it in the warming quality. He's probably going to do what he did last year, get pole position, but ruin his car. But I digress. My predictions, um, I'm going to I'm gonna go with my bold prediction first. And it's not that Charles Leclerc will win. It's not that Charles Leclerc will finish. I'm going to go with Valtteri Bottas to get on the podium this weekend. I think the Alfa Romeos are going to be very, very strong. I was talking to you about in qualifying, obviously, the sector three times. And this is where it's critical at a circuit like this. Alfa Romeo, Valtteri Bottas was actually the third, was actually the fourth fastest driver in qualifying in sector three. The only three people faster than him were Sainz, Leclerc and Verstappen. And Bottas was right up there with them as well. For that reason, and Bottas has historically gone well at Monaco, I'm going to go Bottas to finish on a podium, but I'm going to be conservative and I'm going to give him a P3. In the race, however, I sadly, I'm going to back Max Verstappen to win. So Tifosi fans, Ferrari fans are going to hate me for that one, but there's a logic to this, but I'm not going to reveal that in case I ruin it. And then Leclerc, P2 and then Bottas and P3. So uh, that's my predictions. Guys, get your predictions in the comments below if you're watching this on YouTube or tweet us at DNF1 underscore official on Twitter or on Instagram, DNF1 underscore official on Instagram as well. Let us know your predictions for the Monaco Grand Prix and also for qualifying as well. If you've got any predictions for that, let us know. And just as another plug of the live watch along that we're going to be doing a qualifying, I'm going to be joined by F-Series member Kira Megan who's going to be joining us for qualifying to watch that with me. And that's going to be at 2.45pm on the DNF1 YouTube channel. You know what to do. Subscribe to the channel. Hit that notifications bell. You will not miss it if you manage to do that. And of course, if you're new, join us. Come along. Let us know where you're watching from. We love to have everybody along with us to watch qualifying. It's certainly a fun event. And also, just as another side note, guys, before we sign off, I don't often talk about Fantasy F1 on these podcasts, but 
we do participate in it. We have our own little mini league on F1 Fantasy. So if you do have an F1 Fantasy team and you want to join our league, you still can. I'll leave the code and a link to that in the show notes for both YouTube and the favorite podcasting platform as well. I believe our league leader is Antonis. A, I think surname, something like that. Um, apologies if I pronounce it wrong. Team Red Bellino. No, no uh, prizes for guessing what team he seems to support, but he is absolutely smashing the league right now. I'm currently in second for the DNF1 team, so I'm trying my best to catch you, Antonis, but at the moment he's doing a great job so far, so i really got to sort that out, but I'm certainly coming for you, mate. So, uh, yeah, keep that going. But, of course, guys, you can definitely join in if you have a team already, so make sure you get on that one as well. And uh, until next time, guys, all that's left to say is thank you so much for tuning in. Please stay safe, and we'll see you in the next episode the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.